Welcome to What the Food with Karen Van Barneveld. Much of the time, we mindlessly consume food without really thinking about what's in it and how it affects us. Not only is some food addictive, it also might be unsafe. On our program, you'll find the answers about why food is addictive, how it affects us, and how to find a safe route to better health. Now, here is your host, Karen Van Barneveld. Hey, this is Karen Van Barneveld with WTF, What the Food, where we share the good, the bad, and the ugly about what you're putting on your plate and how it's affecting your health. I have my dear, dear friend, Victoria Abel here and colleague today. Thank you so much for coming on, Victoria. Thank you, Karen. I'm so excited to be here with you and all the listeners today. Yeah, we got a good show coming up. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Victoria. She's been practicing in the field of addiction and recovery since 1994 and has been a family trauma and primary therapist for dual diagnosis inpatient treatment centers, as well as for eating disorders treatment. She's currently a professor of human development at Prescott College, owner of Center for Addiction Nutrition, and through CAN, she consults. What is CAN? Center for Addiction Nutrition. So it's just CAN. Oh, okay. CAN. Through CAN, she consults with treatment centers nationally and facilitates independent training on addiction nutrition. And I met Victoria when I started working on the documentary, What the Food? She became the nutritionist on our team and has been invaluable to... to bringing awareness to a lot of the food aspects of our documentary. So, Victoria. Yes. Yes. What is the difference between regular addiction nutrition and, I mean, regular nutrition and and addiction nutrition? Oh, my gosh, what a great question. So, you know, there's so many ways. um, I don't know why I want to say to skin a cat, because I think that's a terrible analogy. But (laughs) there's so many different ways that we can approach addiction, right? So we can see it as a um, psychological issue, we can see it as a spiritual malady, we can see it as a, you know, physiological, um, chemical dependence, but To me, I believe it's sort of a balance of all of those things. Many people are biochemically set up and they're genetically set up for addiction, right? So it's not so much a perfect idea of an addiction gene. It doesn't totally work that way. But we do know that the way that we were birthed, because that's a big deal, like if we were vaginally birthed or if we were cesarean section or if we were breastfed or how we had our first foods, that's going to really tell us how we colonize the gut. And the gut, what we know about the gut now, which is super exciting with work like Dr. David Perlmutter and Dr. Hyman, we know that there's so much information that comes from the gastrointestinal tract or the gut, and that goes to our mind. And it's going to be a major player when we're looking at anxiety and when we're looking at depression. So what we eat and the health of our gut microbiome is going to be super integrated into our mood, our belief about ourselves, etc. And so many people are using substances, they're using behaviors like sex and gambling addictions, um, spending addictions, those kinds of things. 
to manage their underlying anxiety and depression. So the difference between just traditional addiction treatment is maybe not integrating the physiology of the gut and our food. And I'm just one piece of a beautiful wheel, right? That people are doing the psychological, the spiritual, the genetic and all those things. But nutrition has to be a piece of it. And I'm pretty stoked to be part of the nutrition addiction uh, community. Yeah. Well, you're a very important part of it. Um, Thank you. And I probably should have asked this first. Would, would you share with our listeners the events that brought you to this field? You bet. You bet. So I struggled with my own food issues when I was in my adolescence and early 20s. Um, and then I really fell in love with, well, with psychology. And so I got my undergraduate degree in counseling psychology. I got my first master's degree in um, counseling psychology, specifically Jungian depth psychology. And I was blessed to be able to be trained at the Meadows, which is a beautiful, amazing trauma-informed treatment center here in Arizona. And so I was chugging along thinking this is going to be my gig. I was going to be a therapist and do my thing. And then the universe was like, well, here's a left turn. Um, my beautiful daughter, when she was three years old, um, was very critically ill with lung failure. And she, they were pretty concerned about her ability to breathe and if she would um, fully recover from that level of distress. And our phenomenal health system helped save her um, and helped her breathe again. But honestly, it was her naturopath who said, let's take her off all gluten and dairy and see what happens. And within three days of my kiddo being off gluten and dairy, she was up and running, lungs functioning fine. And I went, holy macaroni, my hippie, beautiful, amazing mom was totally right. She's listening now and she just grimaced, I'm sure. But she was <laughs> totally right that, um, uh, that food was truly one of the main um, medicines that we have in our lives. So I got so interested in why something so simple as having a glass of milk or having a piece of toast could cause my daughter to be in respiratory distress. And so I went back to school and I got another master's degree in nutrition therapy and realized that my daughter's, you know, challenges were not just gluten and dairy, but also just other inflammatories. Um, and for her, her spot where it would manifest is her lungs. So actually, as kind of a cheaty, <laughs> I didn't cheat everybody, but I did think, well, I could just get my second master's thesis and throw addiction on there because that would be easier <laughs> than recreating the wheel and writing a whole nother, you know, 150 page thesis. So uh, but what I realized in my research was actually that um, diet can increase sobriety and um, support detox. Um, it's a 38% reduction in relapse rates when we eat beautiful food. And I thought, well, heck, <laughs> why aren't we doing this more? Why aren't we educating folks in recovery, short-term, new recovery, or long-term about their diet, and I set out to do that. All right. Well, given what you know about how food affects mental health, do you think there's hope for people whose brain chemistry has been so severely damaged by toxic food and brain-altering drugs? 
if they I do. don't, if they, I, if they don't change their diet though? It's such a complex question. And I appreciate you asking me this, Karen. And, and first of all, I forgot to say thank you for all that you do because you're amazing and you're such a pioneer and I love you very deeply. Um, <laughs> but I, I do believe that uh the brain is so incredibly compromised, first of all, by our birth processes, um, the toxins that we're exposed to uh, in our diet and in just the environment in and of itself, um, when we're not exposed to enough good bacterium, when we are given tremendous amounts of antibiotics, it kind of sets us up for a lifetime of anxiety and mood challenges. So when we look at the drugs, particularly, well, fentanyl is just a big, big, big problem here right now um, and so incredibly deadly. But when we look at that, when we look at huffing, when we look at methamphetamine, when we look at bath salts, we look at alcohol, all of them, the impact on the brain is pretty significant. And Dr. Daniel Amen has incredible research on his websites and in his books about that. So if people are interested, it's dramen.com. But brilliant information, but it really leads us to know the severity of the impact on cognition, decision-making, and also it, it kind of spurs on the compulsive behavior. If people are continually exposing their brain to toxins through really low quality food with lots of preservatives, MSG, like I think about ramen and energy drinks and, you know, cheap burritos and things like that. Healing from the damage of substances is completely stymied. We can't just imagine that our brain is going to be like, all right, I'll, you know, and our body is just going to go, I'll heal for you now. You know, I mean, that would be delightful and delicious, but we actually have to provide nutrients for the brain to heal from the damage from substances. Yeah. Well, I've, I've run across that in particular with um, some of my grandchildren having been raised with processed foods and continuing with processed foods when they already have, ADD or ADHD or suicidal tendencies or manic episodes and all they can do that they know of is to go to a treatment facility and be drugged with something that kind of dumbs them down or makes them zombie-ish and they, even though their grandmother has been talking about this for years, they just don't put the dots together. And it's so, so frustrating. You know, I think that, like I said, there's many ways to skin a cat. I, I wish I could come up with another example. Analogy. <laughs> Analogy. But, you know, I think that there's so many ways. It's such a complicated issue. Like I said, it's physiological, spiritual, emotional, psych whatever, psychological. You know, and I do believe that some people have a brain um, difference. Like I wear glasses and if I wasn't wearing my glasses right now, I could not have logged on to do this show for you right now <laughs> at all. Like I couldn't even reach my water glass. But um, so I think that there are times that people do need a, um, a medication that might help their brain and their body function in a better way. 
That being said, I also feel like it can be used in conjunction with nutrition. It can be in, in, in conjunction with um, a spiritual practice, a yogic practice, a, you know, so that it doesn't have to be. And unfortunately, the older model was very much about, um, you know, medication forward. My hope and prayer is through work for, from you, from me, from other people like uh, David Perlmutter and Daniel Amen. I think that there's movement towards, well, certainly Dean Tarabarelli at the sanctuary, um, but moving towards a more integrative model. So we're able to see like there may be a place for medication and nutrition. There may be a place for shamanic breath work, you know, and a sweat lodge, you know, that we're able to see that, that, that there are pieces that need to go together. And this isn't just a pop a medication in somebody and expect them to get better. It's a setup. And I think that that's why we have a 91% relapse rate um, in most addicts in the United States. It's just a system that's completely broken. And I feel, yeah. as I know you do, nutrition is essential in what we're doing. Yeah, well, it goes along with a, with a broken food system as well. Absolutely. And speaking Absolutely. of food, what do you think the, what most dangerous foods to the gut and mental health are? Oh, golly gosh. There's How so much many. time do we have, lady? Um, <laughs> so um, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not dogmatic in that, in the sense that I know that food as a eating disorder professional has a tremendous amount of coping has a lot of memory associated with it has a lot of comfort has a lot of psychological um, pieces and parts to it but i think um, particularly americans are so used to feeling poorly we're so used to being bloated and gassy and needing you know toms and needing things to help us with our bathroom time and and whatnot that we're not paying attention to it's a cause and effect, right? So if we're yeah. eating poorly processed food, and unfortunately, American processed gluten is one of the biggest offenders. Um, so gluten, everybody says to me, oh, you know, everybody, but a lot of people say it's, oh, it's a trend. And, you know, my grandparents mm -hmm. ate gluten. And I was like, well, your grandparents' gluten was a lot different than our gluten, for yes. sure. I mean, you know, when we put um, Roundup and we have Roundup Ready Seed, we have these pesticides and herbicides and all sorts of garbage on our food that and corn genetically modified corn which is unfortunately pretty much the only corn that we get these days but mm -hmm. um, genetically modified corn is going to be another offender to the gut so when the gut is upset when the gut is disrupted it sends a message up your vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve system. Um, it, it goes right up your spinal column to your brainstem. And that nerve system is going to be telling your brain, hey, Karen, I don't feel good. Woo, pay attention to me. I'm really upset down here. The gut is you know, leaky and I've got these toxins and pesticides. And unfortunately what happens is that's interpreted actually as anxiety. Yeah. And so that anxiety is going to be the thing that's going to bring us back to the vodka or it's going to bring us back to the weed or it's going to bring us back to compulsive behaviors. And so instead of being able to 
relate it to, wow, I ate some crappy, you know, pizza that got delivered to me last night. And this morning I'm feeling anxiety. We just say, <laughs> oh, I'm feeling anxiety this morning. I got to fill the yeah. prescription. There's, there's no relationship. There's a disconnect. For sure. Complete disconnect between what we eat and how we feel. Yes. And it, you know, to you and I and to many people, it seems like such a no-brainer to, you know, to eat something and then an hour later have the, the negative consequences of whatever that was. And, you know, even if you're eating healthy and organic and everything like I do, I mean, yeah, we cheat once in a while and I know what the reaction is going to be and I expect it and I just move through it. I don't berate myself and beat myself up for it because I knew going in, if this is what you want, this is what you're going to get. But most people don't put those dots together. And I've talked uh, until I'm blue in the face to people about the fact that, um, okay, so there's a scenario in my book that I talk about where, you know, you, you go through the birth canal. First of all, your, your mother, your parents were drug addicts at one point, whether they're clean or not, when you were born, you still have that toxicity in the birth canal in the, um, in everything that you've eaten, that your parents have eaten, particularly your mother, of course, and then you're born, and then you're fed uh, formula with uh, mm -hmm. corn syrup in it, which is GMO, and you're fed, once you can eat, you're fed processed foods, which have got toxins in them, et cetera. So you're kind of damned from the start. And your parents don't know any better because they're believing all the hype and all the marketing ploys that big food puts out. So it's, it's a vicious circle that these poor children and adults now have gone through their whole entire lives. And they don't have the brain chemistry to absorb what we're trying to tell them in my opinion. You know, I think it's, yes, it may be such a pattern of behavior of this is what we do in our culture. This is what we do in our family. This is how we eat. This is, you know, and it's very personal. It's very intimate. Um, and food is incredibly laden with history and culture and psychology and trauma. Um, you know, if we have a heartbreak, we got to visit our new boyfriends, Ben and Jerry, you know, if we experience, <laughs> you know, so if we're lonely, you know, um, you know, Papa John's going to come and keep me company. So I, I just want to say like, there is a great deal of a psychology, psychological attachment to this. Right. But I appreciate what you're saying very much because when you're set up from the ground up of having poor diet, you didn't get exposed to good back microbiome um, material that you were exposed to a tremendous amount of toxins, It's it feels like the deck is stacked against. And the what's crazy and so fun and cool about what you and I do is that really it takes two weeks to flip around so much of this stuff. Like this is such a uh, uh, almost instant gratification of some joy and vibrancy when we change our food. Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't make it easy. It's not easy. No, it's not. Uh, and you know the thing is, 
Karen and I have seen this repeatedly, is that when people change their diet to whole foods, and we don't need you to be completely organic, we don't need you, I mean, preferably, but, you know, I mean, we don't need you to be perfect, because I don't think that's a good dynamic for us to get into either. But what's so exciting is that within two weeks, you're going to wake up out of bed, like, going, I'm ready for my day, you're going to sleep better, you're going to, you know, have better bathroom time, which I don't need to, you know, belabor, but that's important. <laughs> yes, you know, is. your skin's going to look better. Um, your mood is going to be better. There's so many things that happen. And it happens very quickly. And it's interesting, though, I'm not anti medication. Um, I am like, if we're going to give medication two weeks to begin to work in the body, hmm. What if we gave two weeks to changing the diet? What yeah. if we did that, right? And um, and a lot of people, and, and I would love to talk about this if you're if you're open, is about kind of some of the mythology about how expensive it can be to eat better. Yes. Uh, and that's one of the challenges that we have, right? Because we're going to have our insurance company cover our pharmaceuticals, but we're not going to have insurance companies help us pay for farm fresh food. So right. Uh, that's that's something to think about. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Cool. Um, one of the things that, that you said brought up my remembering how uh, Alberto Velodo wrote mm-hmm. that we grow a new body every seven years. Of course, you know, every part, every part of our body, every cell of our body uh, regenerates in a different way and in a different time. But we actually can grow a brand new body in every seven years a new heart, new lungs, everything. And to, to think of that is pretty, pretty damn amazing. <laughs> we are miraculous. And that's the thing I tell, my, I tell my clients constantly, like your body is trying so hard to heal. Get the flap out of the way, you know, <laughs> like your body knows what it wants. And so often that we'll put a food towards ourselves and, you know, our psychology or our trauma or our comfort or whatever, our addiction will be like, yeah, give me the ding dong or the, you know, whatever the food may be, but somewhere in the body, it's going, no, Please, uh, no more. Yes, right. And it's interesting because when I make like something simple, like a green smoothie, right? And and I make food that tastes really, really good. Like I'm not making people eat, you know, spirulina on, you know, tofu. I'm, I mean, no offense <laughs> to spirulina and tofu fans, but I'm just saying, like, you know, if I'm putting in a little bit of pineapple with your spirulina, with your spinach, with, you know, other things, and people taste it, I ask them consistently, how does your body feel right now? And so often what I hear from them is, God, I feel alive or I feel energy. Like this is better than a monster. And I'm like, ah, please remember that tomorrow morning. And typically it's going to take a while to get out of some poor habits. But, you know, we have to remember and be, you know, conscious and careful with some of the, um, you know, emotional pieces to this because man, you know, when we get lonely or sad, especially with people being in quarantine now, food has been a big deal. Yeah. I, uh, I was pleasantly surprised when I went to see my, uh, my, get my annual from my OBGYN and Mm -hmm. she said, most people are walking in here with 
several pounds more COVID weight and you come in three to four pounds lighter. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get off the call now. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're talking about spirulina. What's some, we have a couple minutes before we go to break. What are some of the best foods that you can eat? One of the, some of the best foods, great question. Um, so first of all, I want to talk about the foods to avoid, and then we'll go into the foods to, to increase. Please avoid uh, as much as you can, like I said, gluten and processed high fructose corn syrup. That's going to damage the liver as much as alcohol. So a lot of people don't know that, that you can get cirrhosis of the liver, uh, even if you're sober and you're not yeah. drinking yeah. anymore, but you can get cirrhosis of the liver just from soda alone. Um, so the foods that I want people to eat more of certainly are going to be fermented foods. So kimchi, sauerkraut, kefir, um, fish sauce, fish sauce is incredible. You know, also taking your probiotics is another really great thing. Um, other foods, organic wild blueberries, organic Mm, blueberries are loaded with antioxidants, incredible nutrients, uh, fantastic for you. If you don't have a thyroid problem, um, or an oxalate problem, um, really make sure you're having your greens. So kale, organic, of course, uh, arugula, um, that you're doing beet greens, all those kinds of things, getting those into the diet and eggs. Eggs are gorgeous people. Gore, just perfect. Eat the whole dang thing. If you can get pasture raised, uh, organic eggs, if you have a farmer nearby or if you want to raise your own, eggs are really fantastic. Please don't be afraid of eggs anymore. That's a whole myth. Um, but just make sure they're very high quality eggs is going to be another one. And water, friends. Water yes. is everything. Water is life. Uh, the water rule for every single day is at least half your body weight in ounces. So if you're 200 pounds, I want you to have 100 ounces of water a day. Um, making sure you're staying on top of that water need. It's going to be essential. Yeah. Well, Victoria, what are the uh, places that people can find you um, I know you're on Facebook. Are you on Twitter or LinkedIn or any of those? I'm on LinkedIn. So it's Victoria Abel, V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-A-B-E-L. I also have a website called uh, Victoria Abel Nutrition. So it's my full name, V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-A-B-E-L, nutrition.com. They can get to me there. I also do one-on-one individual um nutrition consultation with people with addiction, mental health, and regular just old health issues. Um, And you can schedule a Zoom appointment through there. I'm also on on Instagram as Nutrition Mama. um, And I have a weekly food uh, cooking class through Lion Rock Recovery. So I can talk about that as well. Nice. All right, folks, join us when we come back. Victoria and I are going to be talking a little bit about some of the things that she's looking forward to learning and teaching and we're going to have a little discussion about heart math which both of us coach so join us in a few minutes become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you confused about what to eat? What's really in some of the foods you've been eating? And how they affect the health of you and your loved ones? Did you know that what people eat can affect addictive behaviors? How did food get to be so confusing, so toxic, and so addictive? When and why did this start? What is safe and where can I find it? Join Karen Van Barneveld and her guests to find answers to many of your important questions on What the Food? Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. You are listening to What the Food. To reach Karen Van Barneveld or her guest on the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to karen at whatthefoodfilm.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to WTF What the Food. I'm with my fun friend, Victoria Abel. She is the professor, she is the owner of Center for Addiction Nutrition, CAN, C-A-N. And we've been talking about go figure food. So, Victoria, how how does a regular person, everyday Joe or Mary, how do they begin to integrate healthy food into their daily lives? Oh, what a great question again. um, So one of the things that's hard is that a lot of people kind of do the big bang theory of I got to change everything right now. And honestly, that's not very sustainable for most people. Like we'll do really well for like four to 10 days and then we go, screw it. I'm going to go and I'm going to get my, you know, fix on or, I'm, you know, this is too hard or whatever. So what I ask for people to do is just change breakfast just change breakfast. Okay. It doesn't have to be major. It doesn't have to be perfect, but first of all, have breakfast. (laughs) That's essential. Um, You know, your grandma was right. It really is the most important meal of the day, but it doesn't have to be first thing when you wake up, it could be at 10 in the morning. Maybe that's when your stomach wakes up, but be really thoughtful about the way that you break your fast. So you might've been fasting in your sleep time for like 12 hours. Sometimes it's 14 hours. So be thoughtful. Eggs are a great way to do that. Steel cut oats are a beautiful way to do that. Fruit is a great way to do that. I ask that people don't, you know, if you're eating fruity cocoa bombs with, you know, conventional cow milk in the morning, 
I can't expect that your energy, your concentration is going to be that great in the next two hours. And that's when people are going to reach for their energy drink or they're going to reach for another cup of coffee with some crappy creamer in it. See if we can do our best to drink water first thing in the morning, hit your breakfast. And, you know, I teach people really simple things about, you know, make a frittata, make some eggs in the oven like you just put them in a muffin pan people are spending like three bucks no offense to starbucks it's whatever but you know you can literally put eggs in a muffin pan put some parmesan in there and some you know roasted red peppers throw that in the oven and guess what you got egg bite you know what i mean it's not and then you put that in a tupperware you call it happy for a while so i just think breakfast is a really important thing to start and the other thing is where we shop is actually an incredibly important way that we can be empowered and we also can have tasty, yummy food. So anyone who knows me knows that I'm deeply obsessed with Trader Joe's. Like it is my love affair (laughs) with Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is a really high quality grocery store and you can buy frozen meals if that's what's going to work for you and your family. If that's what's going to work for your time and your budget, you can buy organic, beautiful frozen meals or Trader Joe's prepared meals. Um, So really just looking at food, like Michael Pollan says, you know, don't eat food your grandmother wouldn't recognize as food. And so if you look at your plate and you see chicken, broccoli, and rice, good on you, friends. That's whole food. If you see it in a form that your grandmother wouldn't recognize, see if you can just do a little better and go back to the simpler ingredients. Yeah. Well, my one of my favorite breakfasts is a frittata or a torta with, you know, chopped up uh, kale and spinach and chard and green onions and uh, just eggs. And and it's beautiful. And you can have it for leftovers. That's what I had this morning with a little half of grapefruit. It was great. So why does organic food appear to be so expensive? (laughs) Unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of mythology about the price of expensive food, right, of of healthy food or organic food. Mm -hmm. Part of it's true. Unfortunately, part of it is true that you're going to spend extra money. We have been brought up in, at least in the United States, for those listeners in the U.S., with the idea that you should be able to get a meal for a dollar, We've been exposed to this idea that if I have to pay $6 for a dozen eggs, even though that's six breakfasts, you know, that how dare I have to spend $6, but I'm going to spend $10 at McDonald's for a lunch that's going to make me feel like crap. So it's a very, we have a very complicated relationship. Part of um, organic food being more expensive, in my opinion, is that without the use of conventional pesticides and herbicides, the crop situation can be more vulnerable, can also produce food that doesn't look so pretty. challenge because Americans want an apple without any dent or any grossness on that apple or we want to make sure that everything looks perfect and it really does make a lot more food waste and make it more difficult for traditional farmers so farmers not using chemical interventions it's going to be more expensive that way 
I think that there's great ways to do that. There's wonderful services about getting ugly food delivered to your door. There's fabulous organic ugly food. Um, there's none in our area, unfortunately, but in major cities, you're going to find a lot more ability to do that. Go to your farmer's market. Also for my folks who are on EBT or food stamps or food assistance, a lot of farmer's markets um, have double your food buck. Um, so at ours here, if you have $20 worth of food stamps, you get $40 worth of food. So there's a lot of different ways that we can, and we just have to be more, we have to work at it a little harder. Yeah. Um and my whole thing with eating organic, well, not my whole thing, but part of my thing with eating organic, when I tell people, you know, that complain about the cost of it is that if you're not paying now, you're going to pay later. Because what you're eating, if it's not whole food, if it's not clean food, you're going to wind up spending more time with your doctor, make him your friend, you might as well. And you're going to wind up probably with a loss of time at work, which costs you money. And your kids are going to be sicker if they're eating the same stuff that you're eating. So you're going to be spending the money one way or the other. Why not spend it now? And, you know, like you said, at least one meal a day or two meals a day or something. Just get closer to eating cleaner as much as you can. And watch your dollars go down, yeah. medically speaking and pharmaceutically speaking, instead of your budget being blown out of the park with organic food. So it's, a, it's always a trade-off, either uh, uh, mentally, physiologically, or emotionally, or, phys well, or um, monetarily. So, yeah, and I, I think that there's that we it, it's really about a change in mindset. I also feel yeah. like there's something about deservability, right? Yeah. So I don't know how many of us are taught that our soul, our spirit, our body, our mind, that we are worthy of the good nutritious food we reach yeah. for the cheaper food because you know sometimes it's it's budgetarily and i i totally i you know raised my kid on my own and <laughs> money was not easy um did uh, you know the only parent thing forever um i get it but there's times that you go okay if I know that actually a conventional apple is dangerous for my child and I know that now I may not let them rot on the counter. <laughs> I'm going to buy the organic one and I'm going to cherish this food because I deserve it. I'm worthy of it. And so is my kiddo. Um, so I think it's really so many spokes to this wheel um, of being able to say, I am worthy. This is a priority for me. And at the end of the day, my vibrancy, my life, my joy, my peace, you know, is worth me spending the extra money and maybe not having the, you know, Hulu membership or the, you know, maybe I'm not going to go and buy the X, Y, and Z thing. I'm not an anti-Hulu. I'm actually anti-TV. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, everybody who knows me does. I don't watch TV or movies, but still, 
except documentaries like WTF. But um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, maybe we could find the ways that we could transfer that out instead of going to Starbucks or instead of having, you know, yeah. the, the takeout night. Maybe, like, my daughter and I made, um, we made <laughs> organic, gluten-free, um, I don't even know what they're called, crunch wraps or something like that. It's like a Taco Bell thing. And uh -huh. so it was so fun. We did grass-fed beef and cassava tortillas. And we made these Taco Bell things that she and her friends like, but we made it at home and it wasn't just better for us. We actually had a blast making it. Yeah. Um, and so these are the kinds of things that when we shift in this time, and this is such a time of energetic shift in our planet anyway, what if we actually took that shift just with a meal or two a day and said, huh, what would it be like if I brought my lunch? Yeah. And something else that I like to uh, share with my listeners is uh, when you sit down to eat, feeling gratitude for all the hands that came into bringing it to your table and for the nutrition that it's going to provide you with the, with the fantastic energy that it's coursing through your body as you eat it and as you digest it. I think it's really important to, you know, to bless our food. And you know, one of the things that when I was a kid, um, we spent a tremendous amount of time in our van traveling around the country and camping. We, you know, lived on a boat. We, you know, I was pretty groovy, fabulous childhood. I'm super blessed. And my parents were very focused on the nutrition of our food. But there was something that we did before each meal that we would hold hands. And it wasn't a religious tradition. It was just this moment of like connecting and gratitude. And what I know about our digestive system, and I love my parents tremendously. I had the best parents in the whole world. But the, the thing that I understood, I thought it was about you know, at the time, just kind of, you know, rounding up dirty children who were running around and trying to get us to eat our dinner. But what I realized, you know, on an esoteric or a spiritual or emotional level, that gratitude was there. And that was that time to connect. And what I understand as a scientist now, is that um, this is also moving from our sympathetic nervous system. It's it's moving from our fight or flight response of, oh my God, I just drove on I-10 in Phoenix and I want to barf because I'm stressed out or I just talked to my ex-husband or I just watched the news or whatever it may be. And our body's in this really highly active state. Agitated. Like you're saying, Karen, like that kind of down regulation, that moment of gratitude that, you know, some people call it grace, you know, saying grace before your meal or whatever it may be. Not only are you able to recognize the nutrient potential in your food, you're also allowing your nervous system to down regulate and get ready to digest food. So not only are you going to be able to see the beauty and the bounty of your food, you're also going to be able to actually absorb it in a way that those nutrients are going to be brought into your gut. And what a lot of people don't re realize is that you make your serotonin and your dopamine in your gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. You make your neurochemicals. You make the thing that makes you feel happy, manages your anxiety, and makes you feel blissed out with dopamine. You make it in your gut, and you make it from your food, friends. So if you're eating crappy food you're going to make crappy serotonin. Yeah. And your mood is going to be crappy, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
all of those things combined. And you're not going to sleep as well. Oh, well, <sighs> sleep. That could be a whole nother radio series. Seriously, <laughs> sleep is really intense. It's not an yeah. easy relationship for me either. Yeah. Yeah. So what test do you think would help me understand my food sensitivities? I am uh, gluten-free now too. Good. And dairy-free. Good. So I really love uh, most everything as Karen does too. We're pretty high fans of Great Plains Laboratories and mm -hmm. um, the, the ways that they can help you assess your food um, or your body and the way that it's processing. I love the oat test. OAT, the organic acids test. Karen and I have used that on a lot of people that we've worked with together. Oat is fantastic. But in terms of when we're looking at true food sensitivity tests, I shy away from them. And let me tell you why. The major reason I shy away from food sensitivity tests is that often if your gut is not in good shape, if you have a leaky gut, IBS, constipation, diarrhea, Crohn's disease, um, whatever it may be, your some of your food sensitivity tests are going to come out with being popping positive for all the food that you've been eating lately, um, because the the gut is leaky and it's going to leak those foods that you've been eating. So there are some good tests in terms of finding out what you might be more genetically sensitive to, what might be happening in your bloodstream. Um, but that's something to talk to your functional medical doctor with or your naturopath. For me, what I do mostly with my clients is that we do food logging and bloat logging bowel movement logging. Um, and so we're really doing a good test of what can we identify as triggers for you. You know, people have a disorder a lot called SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, but it's so interesting because the SIBO diets are very random. And pe some people with SIBO can eat this and some people with SIBO can eat that. Some people can't do lectins. Some people can't do oxalates. It's really something that you work with your practitioners, like myself as a nutritionist, with your naturopath, with your GI specialist to be able to identify. But you're going to be the best reporter on your feelings. Um, if you can understand how you feel in terms of your bloat, your energy level, your anxiety, your bowel movements, that's really going to be our greatest litmus test. Hmm. So you're just talking about anxiety. I know that um, you're a certified heart math coach as am I, thanks to being your guinea pig when you got <laughs> certified. <laughs> um, are you still using that with your clients? I do. It's a little harder because I'm doing mostly Zoom. Yeah. HeartMath is hard unless they have the technology. But mm -hmm. as people may or may not know, HeartMath is a gorgeous and beautiful and scientifically documented technique to down-regulate that nervous system, just like what Karen was, just like what we were saying about the digestion, that this is a beautiful technique to help in real time understand your nervous system and kind of, you can get your blood pressure in check. You can get your anxiety in check. Your sleep is better with heart math. Your digestion is certainly better with heart math. So um, Karen, I'm super psyched you're doing that. Yeah, well, from my experience um, with clients that are experiencing anger and stress and PTSD symptoms, 
it's helped them find a lot more kindness and acceptance and inner ease with not only other people, but with themselves. And this is where we have to start first is with our own hearts. And the everyday fears and challenges, they say are easier to navigate. And like you said, down their sleep patterns are better, their hormone levels are better. Um, So they're, they're, generally speaking, they're kind of evening out. Uh, They're not having the highs, the big highs and the big lows. They're much better able to deal with the everyday stresses of life in particular right now with being at home more with their spouses and their families. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And their dogs and themselves. And, you know, and, and I think heart math is also really um, beautiful because it's another one of those adjunctive approaches to addiction recovery, right? So if we've got our, our diet and I hate that word, but if we've got our nutrition on board, and we're also working on our nervous system from heart math. And especially my anti-meditators do really well with heart math because they're like, I can't sit down and, you know, focus on my breathing. What the heck? Um, heart math has some really fun games and tools and things like that that you can use. But what's so cool, too, is when you look at like Insight Timer, when you look at the the um, Headspace apps, when you look at all so many more things are coming into our homes through tech technology, um, that we've got um, great food support information. There's a lot more like cooking and nutrition information online. Like I, I think even though it's challenging at this time, we're really looking at ways, how can I take my own authority? How can I become empowered in my own self-care and food and breathing and meditation and are, are all fantastic ways to be able to do that when you're attached to your computer monitor like I am a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> me too. So uh, going back a little bit, how does working with a nutritionist help me help my health and my mood? So working with a nutrition therapist um, is so helpful because it's sort of like when you go to the gym um, and you don't have a uh, personal trainer, I can often be like, well, I don't go now, but you know, I would be like, ah, heck with it. I'm tired. I'm going to go. Um, or I'll just, you know, go and do the massage bed and get a nice bottle of water and go home. Um, <laughs> but, but I think when you have an appointment with a, a health coach or with a personal trainer, you show up at the gym because you, you paid for that thing. Right. Yeah. And you might do a harder exercise. It might push you a little bit further working with a nutrition therapist like myself and so many other phenomenal nutritionists um, are the benefit is that a, it keeps you kind of on track um, because you're like, Oh wait, I have to talk about this today. Do I really want to tell her that I ate the, you know, Oreos, even though they were gluten-free or whatever. (laughs) And it's not shame because I'm a, I do motivational interviewing. I'm not a shame based human at all, but um you know, I, I think it's about keeping us on track. It's also setting goals 
right? And that's kind of like life coaching. Um, you know, we're, I'm doing food coaching and most nutritionists are doing food coaching to say, okay, what's, what are you doing now that works? Great. Thumbs up on that. What are you doing right now that's not working terrifically well? How do we change that? And what are the goals this week or every other week or whatever it may be that you can embrace a change without it being like, did that for four days? screw it. You know, I'm going to not do that anymore. You know, that we're actually looking at how can I make sustainable lifelong changes versus the diet that lasts for 20 days. And then I, you know, go to Baskin and Robbins. Hmm. Well, listeners, again, you can find more information about our topics of discussion today on all the top social media platforms. And you can find Victoria at Center for Addiction Nutrition. Is that correct? And no, it's actually Victoria oh, Able Victoria. Nutrition now. So it's my name, V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-A-B-E-L, nutrition.com. You did say that earlier. And click on my uh, link here on the host page to check out my book, God Made Organics, Not GMOs, and watch the What the Food 8-Minute documentary trailer at www.whatthefoodfilm.org. You can also make a tax-deductible donation to the What to Food nonprofit organizations where proceeds from your uh, purchases and donations go toward our documentary work in progress. And I also have a website, heavenlyyoga.com. That's with one Y, Heavenly Yoga, to subscribe to my free newsletter with my own delicious recipes and a chance to win a free one-year subscription to my 24-7 online yoga classes. And tune in next week for my interview with Vani Hari, Food Babe. Vani took on Subway sandwiches, demonstrating in front of a store, chewing on a yoga mat because she found out that they were using substances in yoga mats, used in yoga mats in their bread recipe. Can you believe that? Unfortunately, I can. I want to thank you again, Victoria, for sharing your passion for health, nutrition, and clean food with all of our listeners today. And uh, when we get off this, we're going to talk about this Cordon Blue Chef training that you, I heard you're going to be doing. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to culinary school and I'm pretty darn excited. I'm going to put that into the mix and travel around the world and teach people how to eat organic whole foods. Woohoo! All right. I'm excited. And as always, listeners, I remind you to be kind to yourselves. And if you're kind to yourselves, you're going to be kind to other people. Join us next week. Thank you for joining host Karen Van Barneveld and What the Food. Be sure to tune in for another episode next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.